And I want to open by just saying, this is your season of shift. Everything that's been holding you back needs to let go right now because you're too hot to handle. You're about to go higher than you've ever been. One more time, scream shift. Lord, this church will make a London man act undignified. Take your Bibles in your hand and let's read several passages of Scripture together as we unpack from the Holy Writ what the Lord Jesus will say to us by His Spirit today. I would arrest your attention and like to paint on the canvas of your minds a particular revelation from this particular pericope of Scripture that will give you inspiration, revelation, and a relief from frustration concerning what you've been waiting for from God. And if you would give me your attention, I believe by the end of this presentation, the Lord will speak to your heart. We're going to read a lot. Bear with me. We're going to read a lot. But if you don't like the Bible, it's a little strange being in church today because that's like being in KFC and not lighting chicken. So we're going to read a few scriptures and uh, we're going to be friends while you're checking me out, wondering who's this cat that pastors brought in from London. And I'm reading the scriptures. By the end of it, we'll be friends. Acts chapter 1. And then we're going to read Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, I said three scriptures. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, and 1 Corinthians 15. Don't panic, I'll be standing longer than you. But the reason we're reading these scriptures is because I want us to understand we are right now, right now, right now, actually, literally right now, in between two significant moments. We're between Easter, which is when Jews celebrate Passover, Easter is, was April, or rather March 27th, and March 27th was Easter, so we just celebrated Easter, and Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost is on May the 15th, so we are actually straddled between two significant moments, you're like that as like Pastor Reggie's dancer, we're straddled between two significant moments, and that's why I believe we are in a significant shift season. If you can turn up your prayer and your praise in this season, I think the devil will run from you rather than you running from the devil. So I want to call to the witness stand today, Luke, and then I want to call Paul. Luke and Paul are going to give us their understanding of what took place after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, also known as his suffering, also known by Mel as his passion. So let's read what Luke says. Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as the gospel of Luke. He wrote to a guy called Theophilus. Theo is a good guy. He's a Roman convert to Christianity. And Luke writes to him again in the book of Acts and tells him some stuff which is interesting. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. He says here, the former account or the previous book I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He's talking about the gospel of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up. After he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive. Somebody shout alive. After his suffering, that's his death, burial, and resurrection, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, notice with me, during 40 days. So after he rose from the dead, he was seen for 40 days. Somebody shout, 40 days. 
Seen by them for 40 days, and what he did, he was speaking with them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I wonder if kingdom in the valley can shout the kingdom. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Somebody shout, wait. That's the problem with the church nowadays. We want to get, we want to, we want to take 25 years to get saved and we want God to bless us in five minutes. But push your neighbor, say, wait, 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 wait. Tell him the best is yet to come. It's yet to come. He says, wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John, John the Baptist speaking here, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Lord, we've been under Roman occupation as a nation for so long. We are God's people. Why are the Romans dominant? Why is this despotic Caesar or autocratic maniac having rulership over us and you not doing anything about it? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power what he was saying to them here is don't worry about the romans on the outside get some power on the inside because i find out i found out that when you got power on the inside it don't matter what the devil tries to do to the outside he can't steal your joy if you know that's the truth holler back and shout amen he says, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And watch the first thing the Holy Spirit makes you do. It doesn't just make you shake, rattle, and roll. He says, you shall be witnesses. Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, watching him going toward heaven in the cloud, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, angels we now retrospectively know, in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they return, verse 12 says, to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, where all this took place, this Mount Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, when they entered they went up here we go now into the upper room where they were staying watch this who's up there let's find out who's up there Peter James John Andrew Philip Thomas Bartholomew Matthew James the son of Alphaeus Simon the zealot Judas not Iscariot because he's already killed himself for betraying Jesus but Judas the son of James these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and Luke says the girls were there too look at your neighbor say here come the girls Verse 15 says, and in those days, Peter gets a revelation. He stood up in the midst in verse 15, and we're about to get some window, a window of information that's very important to what I'm going to talk about. He says, all together in the upper room, in this place, the upper room was numbered about 120 people. Somebody shout 120. Peter then just basically begins to say, look guys, we've been up here for so long and the promise hasn't come yet. He says, we need to replace Judas. He says, there were 12 apostles. There's 120 of us in the upper room, but there were originally 12 apostles and there's only 11 apostles now because Judas betrayed Jesus, killed himself. He done messed up and we need to replace Judas. We need to put back what Jesus originally had. 
The moment they do that, what happens is they select two names. And if we go down, let's go down to verse, go down to verse uh, 24. The Bible says, or verse 23, go to verse 23. The Bible says they propose two. Uh, a black guy, I'm sure he was black because he's got like a thousand names. It's Joseph called Barsabas, whose surname was Justice. And Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. And verse 25, he says, we want them to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots and their lot fell in Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11. Then in the original manuscript, there is no chapter division. In the original manuscript, the chapters just flow. Chapter division was introduced by man, which is fine. It helps us identify where we are, but the manuscript flowed. So the Holy Spirit coming suddenly flows directly after this shift that took place in the upper room. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, and let's read it together after 3 so we stay awake. 1, 2, 3, go. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place and suddenly, somebody shout suddenly. Why don't you push your neighbor like you're crazy and say, I want a suddenly blessing this year. No, that's the wrong neighbor. Find the other neighbor and say, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of the devil doing his mess in my life. I'm looking for my breakthrough and I want it suddenly. I want a suddenly blessing on my finance, on my family, on my children, on my marriage. If that's you, rail back your head, lift up your hands and scream suddenly. So suddenly there came a sound, a sound, a sound. Sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And watch this. It filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Last scripture and I promise we're going to preach. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've just heard what Luke said took place after Jesus died, buried and rose again. He said he was seen for 40 days. He said 120 were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came. Now let's look, at, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, let's call him to the witness stand. These are two erudite, perspicacious individuals. Luke being a physician, Paul being an academic genius. And so we can count on their accounts being extraordinarily credible. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, listen, he says to the Corinthian church, hey guys, he says, hey guys, listen, I delivered to you, I told you, first of all, that which I was also told. He says that Christ died for our sins. Somebody shout, he died. According to the scriptures and that he was buried. Somebody shout, he was buried. And then Paul says, he rose again. Somebody shout, he's alive. The third day, according to the scriptures. And that, then Paul says this, he was seen, this is after his resurrection, he was seen by Cephas, which is another name for Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Somebody shout 500. He then says, of whom the greater part remain, but some have died by the time he's writing that. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. So at least 500 guys saw him at once. Today, I want to preach to you and give you a message that will help you, I believe, move forward in your destiny. Look at your neighbor and say these words. Say today. No, no, that's the wrong neighbor. Find a real neighbor. And say today. I'm going to the blessing place. Now find two or three more people, shake their hand like you want to take their hand home with you and say, with you or without you, I'm going to the blessing place.
You may be seated in the presence of His Majesty Jesus the Christ. <laughs> it's interesting as we read the Holy Writ, we read the texts of the Bible, that the Bible presents us with a variety of stories presented to us to give us application, revelation for our situation, to move us forward with mobility and determination in order to reach our God-given destiny until we get to the eternal destination. Within the Holy Writ, God gives us certain words that we see appear, especially in our New Testament, and assume because they appear, especially in the New Testament, we assume they're Christian words. But these words are not Christian words. They are actually Jewish words because Christianity was birthed out of the womb of Judaism. What words are you talking about, London pastor? The words I'm talking about are words like Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Passover, these were actually Jewish commemorations. They were Jewish celebrations that God, in his infinite wisdom compared to our infinitesimally small minds, realized would help us remember the good things he's done in our lives. He said to his Jews, his people of the Old Testament, I want you to remember every time I do major stuff in your life, but I know you are a forgetful people. I know you always need me to perform before you praise. And so in order to get you to praise me, regardless of my performance, I want you to have commemorations every year that remember significant things I've done in your life. Now, these commemorations are ceremonial and also they are partly celebratory. In other words, they have massive parties. The Jews turn up when they're ready. And they go all the way in during these celebrations to recognize what God done in their history. If you'd allow me to park the car there just for a moment, I've got the meter running so I won't stay too long. But I think it's significant for us to recognize the fact that God wants us to celebrate the good stuff he's done in our lives. Sometimes you ought to take a praise break in your kitchen, in your living room, in your bedroom, and allow yourself to think back to what God did in your life and have your own personal praise party. Because if ain't nobody else going to praise God for what he's done, you ought to praise God for the fact that he protected you, for the fact that he protected your children, for the fact that he helped you in your finances, for the fact that he delivered you. I wonder if I can find 200 people in kingdom church who will just think back to what God did in your past and have a praise party in your present when I say go jump up and shout on your marks get set go look at your name and say he's already been good to me I'm not one of those praisers who needs a new car before I praise him. I don't need a new house before I praise him. He already healed my body. He already covered my mind. Somebody shout yes in here. Every now and again, in front of your haters, when they switch on you, you ought to have a personal praise party and just know that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Sit down real quick. It's interesting, it's interesting. We, 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 we have these two, in particular, these two feasts out of the selection of feasts called Passover and Pentecost. Passover and Pentecost. Lean on your neighbor, say Passover. Lean on the real neighbor, say Pentecost. 
Passover, Pentecost. We are actually literally between Passover and Pentecost right now. Because Passover is when the Jews celebrated the well, when we celebrate Easter, Jews celebrate Passover. And Pentecost is on May the 15th. So Easter was April or March 27th. Passover or Pentecost is May the 15th. So we are significantly in a shift season right now. That's why I believe I can find a few people who will turn up their praise in this season. They'll make the devil mad and God will be glad. Passover, Passover. Let's start with Passover. You remember Passover, Passover. You must remember Passover, even if you didn't grow up in church, at least from the movie, The Prince of Egypt, you remember Passover. Passover, you remember Passover, God raised up a young boy by the name of Moses. Moses was going to be God's man on assignment. God wanted Moses to go on a mission, and God raises Moses up. Moses is born into a crazy situation. The Hebrew people, the Jews, if you prefer, they were under the Egyptian regime living in the gutters of Goshen, in the ghetto if you were, and under massive oppression from a despotic lunatic called Pharaoh. Pharaoh the autocrat did not like the Hebrews and he gave an edict out that every Hebrew boy under a certain age should be killed. But I found out that the devil, when he knows there's destiny on your life, he'll try and take you out early. Just because the devil tries to attack you early don't mean God is not for you. It's a sign that there's destiny on your life. I wish I had a hundred folk who believe that in here. And so Pharaoh gave the edict, and the edict was he wanted the boys killed. But Pharaoh's mama, Moses' mama rather, she knew that there was destiny on the life of her child. And I thank God for praying mothers who don't give up on their children, who know when their children have purpose and destiny and a future designed on their life. She decided in her belly that though the devil wants to take my baby, he's not going to have his right. I'm going to protect my baby by any means necessary. And I thank God for radical mamas like that who are prepared to look the devil in the face and say, though you're trying to put my baby on drugs, you can't have him. Though you're trying to mess up his life, you can't have him. This is my baby and God's baby too. And so Moses' mama, she decided I'm going to try and wean him for as long as I can. And then she makes a radical step of faith. Because sometimes to get radical breakthrough, you've got to do radical stuff. She takes that baby and she places the baby in a basket. She puts the basket in the Nile and we're about to see the first miracle with water that takes place in Moses' life. The first miracle with water in Moses' life was not the dividing of the Red Sea as awesome as that was. But the first miracle in Moses' life with water happened in the Nile. Why is that? Because if you understand the historicity and the topography of Egyptology, you'll get a revelation that gives you understanding that what took place should not have taken place scientifically. Moses' mother belongs to the slave group of Hebrews. The slaves always lived downriver. They lived downriver so that when they bathed, when they drank, when they wanted to use the Nile, they had to use the kaka, the mess, the nastiness that flowed from upriver, the rich folks would flow downriver to the ghetto. And so she places Moses down there in the nasty part of the river 
downstream. Moses is placed downstream, but it just so happens that by destiny's design, Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath upstream. She's taking a bath upriver, and all of a sudden, here comes this basket floating in front of her. Now, if you don't understand it yet, then you're the slow class and you've missed it. Because the last time I checked, rivers don't flow up, rivers flow down. But I found out that when God wants to bless you, he'll break the rules to get you into your destiny. If you believe it, snap your neighbor high five and say, I'm going higher. I want some radical folk in here. I want to find some people who the devil said you'll never get your breakthrough. The devil said you'll never get a promotion. I need you to grab your neighbor and say, I'm going higher because God will break the rules to bless me. My God, my God. Slap three people a high fiver real quick and say, I don't care what the devil said. You can go wherever God said you can go. I know he said your race, your gender, your background stops you, but God will break the rules to bless you. Sit down real quick. Watch this. Watch this. It's significant here because Moses then, of course, he moves into ministry a little too hastily, as we'd say back home in London. He moves too quickly. He knows there's a call on his life. He is called. He is called. He is definitely called to be a deliverer of God's people. But the calling and the timing are two different things. You see, he was called, but it was not yet his time. And so he moved into his calling too quickly. One day when he was 40, he comes out of the palace and he sees one of his Hebrew brethren being abused by an Egyptian overseer. And Moses moves in his calling too quickly and creates a mess. He murders the overseer and ends up having to go on the run. But I'm so glad that even when we create a mess, God does not give up on us. God is like a supernatural satellite navigation system. When I make a wrong turn, he just reroutes me and still sends me to my destiny. Slap your neighbor high five and say, I'm still on my way. I wonder if there's anybody in here who found yourself having to be rerouted a few times. And the devil said you'll never get to your destiny. But I come by here all the way from London to let you know that God has his mind on you and you're still on your way to your future. Snap your neighbor high five again and say, I'm on my way. And so, and so he ends up on the run. He ends up on the run. He's on the run. He ends up in the mountains of Sinai Peninsula. He's looking after somebody's sheep. Can I preach a little bit in here? If I can preach, say, preach London, preach London, preach London. Watch what happens here. He's on the run. He's living in the, in, in the mountain of Peninsula of Sinai, and he's out there looking after his father-in-law's sheep. Watch this, because God has him in preparation for his calling. Because just because you're called doesn't mean it's your time. God has to shape you and and get you ready for where he's trying to take you to. And so what God does is he has Moses looking after somebody else's sheep because God wants to see how you're faithful over a few things before he'll make you ruler over many. 
say he's looking after Jethro's sheep before he gets to look after God's sheep. I need to let you know that where you are right now is not your end. God's just got you in that job for the moment, but he's shaping you for your destiny. Moses is walking through, meandering through the Sinai Peninsula, looking for fresh pasture for the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. And he comes across this bush, and the bush is on fire, yet it's not consumed. You know the story. I'm not trying to teach a Sunday school lesson. And all of a sudden, he hears from the bush what we in theology call the double enunciation of deity. He hears Moses, Moses. In other words, God doesn't just call him once, but God calls his name twice. God gets just like destiny in his child and says say my name say my name and he says Moses Moses because sometimes when God calls you he wants the devil to let you know that he can't have you no more he's calling you but he's also letting the devil know this one's mine he says, Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You are now called and you're now appointed. It's now your time and I want you to go down to Egypt, look Pharaoh square in the face and tell Pharaoh, God told me to tell you to let my people go. Moses is so weird. He's real strange, man. Because Moses, look how silly the text is. Moses begins to argue with God about the fact that he can't argue with Pharaoh. He begins to say to God, I can't talk. I'm not qualified to talk to Pharaoh. Well, if you're talking to God, you can talk to anybody. That's why I pray. I pray because when I finish praying, I can talk to anybody. I don't care who you are. Eventually, God deals with the frustration that Moses comes with and he sends Moses with an assistant, his brother Aaron. They march down past the University of Alexandria. They pass the major obelisk at the entrance to the Egyptian cities and they walk up into Pharaoh's courts. He walks up into Pharaoh's court and he says to Pharaoh, God told me to tell you to let his people go. Pharaoh begins to resist God, which is a stupid, dumb, foolish thing to do. Because when God wants something done, it no matter how much you resist him, he'll get you. When God wants you, he'll find you. He'll find you in the club making it rain. He'll find you on the street. He'll find you in the background. Because when God wants something done, it will be done. Somebody shout yes. He, 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 he tries to resist. He tries to resist and so Moses goes back to God and says, God, this guy Pharaoh, man, he's a, he's a piece of work, man. He's, he's crazy. He, he's crazy. He, he's resisting you, God. And God says, don't worry, don't worry. Here's some judgments. Go and dish out the blood in the Nile, the locusts. He says, the flies, the frogs. He sends all of the judgments, the 10 plagues on Pharaoh and Pharaoh is still resisting and increasing his oppression on God's children. Pharaoh continues to abuse God's kids. But I found out about 
about my God, you best not mess with his kids because he will not stand by and allow it to happen. God did never in scripture, never in scripture, does God say revenge is wrong. He just said, vengeance doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's why when my haters try switch on me, when they try gossip about me and talk about me, I don't lose my mind, I just say, wait for my God. Because my God takes care of his children. You try and mess with me, be careful. You're messing with a child of the most powerful force in the universe. Slap your neighbor high five and say, he's my God too. Pharaoh begins to resist. He resists, he resists, he resists, he resists. Until the night, Moses comes to God and says, God, look, man, I've tried everything. All of this stuff ain't working on him. God says, don't worry, son. I've got something for Pharaoh. He's been abusing and messing and killing my kids. Watch what I'm going to allow to come into his house. And so on that night, God says, I'm going to allow a spirit of death that's wanted to come in for so long, but I've been holding it back. But because Pharaoh is resisting me, I'm going to allow this spirit of death to walk through the streets of Egypt and mess some stuff up. But what I want you to do, I want you to tell every one of my people to do something real radical tonight. Tonight, tonight, tonight. Tell them to do something radical tonight. It's going to sound strange. It's going to sound bizarre, but I want them to do it. Tell them every family, every Hebrew family, somebody shout every family. Every family take one lamb. Take a lamb, kill the lamb, eat the lamb. Only every family, every family, every family have one lamb. And take the blood of the lamb, Lord Jesus. Take the blood of the lamb. I wonder where my church folk are at. Take the blood of the lamb and paint that blood over the entrance to the home. Because tonight, every time that spirit of death comes across a home that's covered with the blood that spirit of death has no authority in there and so on that night the Hebrews covered their homes with the blood of the lamb and that spirit of death went walking and meandering through the streets of downtown Egypt and every time it came across a home that was not covered with the blood the spirit went in and took the firstborn of that home but every time the spirit came across a home that was covered with the blood that spirit could not go into that home it came across the blood and it had to pass over look at your neighbor and say the blood the blood the blood say the blood the blood the blood the blood the blood over my children the blood over my finance devil has no authority where there is the blood of the lamb somebody scream the blood My God, when I was growing up in church, 
I'm from old school church originally. And when I was growing up in church, the old mothers, uh, they'd get around certain things and say, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Uh, I never understood it till I got older. And I realized that the devil is afraid of the blood. Uh, I dare you right now uh, to think of your house uh, and scream the blood. Uh, think of your children. Jump up and scream the blood. Uh, think of your finance and scream the blood. Sit down, let me act like I'm from Europe again. Watch this. Watch this. And so Pharaoh couldn't resist that. So on that night, Moses, watch me now. Can I teach a little bit? I love you. I love you. Watch this. On that night, Moses led them out free people. And what I love about God, God didn't let them leave broke. He led them out free people. However, watch this. They are a baby nation. They have been living in the ghettos of Goshen for so long. They're a baby nation. They have no law. They've been in 430 years of slavery. They have no education. They have no systems. They have no infrastructure. They're a baby nation. Watch this. A baby nation. Help me teach it. They're a baby nation. Watch this. They're a baby nation because the devil thought putting them in Egypt in slavery would have wiped out God's plan for destiny. Because if there is no Israel, there is no Messiah. If there is no Messiah, there is no church. If there is no church, there's no point in us being here. So the devil had them trapped in Egypt. But I thank God that what the devil meant for evil, God turned to good. When they went into Egypt, they were only 30 people, just a few people. By the time they come out of Egypt, they're half a million. So Egypt becomes a womb. Oh God, oh God. Where the devil's got you right now, it's not a trap, it's just a womb. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm about to be born. I'm about to be born. They come out of Egypt, watch me, a baby nation. The, and where's my girls at? All the girls shout back, yeah. Every woman who's had a child will tell you before a baby is, or when a baby is about to be born, there must be a breaking of the water. So they come out of Egypt and the very first thing that happens is a breaking of the water. They have to part the Red Sea. <laughs> Baby Israel has been born. Where's my midwives at? Every midwife will tell you a baby being born is not the only thing that must happen before they're satisfied. Every midwife wants to hear a sound. So when the baby's born and there's a breaking of the water and that baby's out, we want to, sometimes you have to slap that baby to make a sound. That's why every time you get a breakthrough, you ought to open your mouth and make a sound. Let the devil know that whatever he tried to use to kill you didn't work. I dare you to jump up right now and make a sound. Shout.
Shout for your breakthrough. Shout for your children. Shout for your house. Shout for your family. Sit down, watch this. So they come out a baby nation. They're a baby nation. They have no infrastructure. They have no law. They have no systems. So God needs to shape them into a good nation. And what God does in his infinite wisdom is he says, the first thing you need is a law. So he calls Moses. They're now in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. They're not where they used to be, but they're not in the promised land. They're not where they used to be. They're not where they want to be. I'm not what I used to do, but I'm not exactly what I'm supposed to do. Watch this, watch this, watch this. You've got to learn how to manage your in-between season. Because how you manage your in-between season is indicative of whether you'll get to your destiny. You know the in-between season. You're in the middle, the middle, the middle. The middle is never a comfortable place. The middle seat on an airplane is disgusting. The middle child is sometimes crazy. Middle school is often the most difficult. The Middle East has the most wars. Somebody shout, you're in the middle. You know the middle, the middle, the middle. You've got to have a good attitude in the middle. You've got to say to yourself, all right, all right, all right. I'm not quite a butterfly, but I'm not a caterpillar. In other words, I can't fly, but I refuse to crawl. God, God, God calls Moses, says, Moses, come here. Come here, Moses. He says, come here, Moses. I want you to come to the mountain. I'm going to give you a law for the people. Moses comes to the mountain, gets a law. Some drama takes place, but eventually brings the law back. Part of the law, part of the law is a significant thing. I'm about to give you a revelation. It's called the day of Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur in Hebrew is the day of atonement. Now watch this. The day of atonement was every year on a day they had to take a lamb. Heard that before? Take a lamb. This time God says, take one lamb and kill that lamb. And the blood of that lamb covers the whole drama of the nation. So in Egypt, it was one lamb for one family. In the wilderness, it's one lamb for the whole nation. But by the time we get to the New Testament, God has escalated his power. Because in the New Testament, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the muddy Jordan River. And there's a line of people waiting to be baptized. He looks up and somebody in the line is different. And John the Baptist gets revelation. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that does not just deal with a family, does not just deal with a nation, but behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world if you know the name of the lamb jump up open your mouth and scream jesus watch this watch this here we go now here we go it's about to get juicy watch this and that's why jesus the lamb of god had to be crucified during the feast of Passover, which was a commemorative feast of what took place way back in Israel's history in Egypt. The lamb that every family killed in Egypt, the lamb that the nation killed in the wilderness, were prototypes of the ultimate lamb of God. Y'all still here? Watch this. And so what we have here, Jesus has to be killed 
has to be buried and rises again. He goes through his passion during the feast of Passover. I'm about to give you a revelation. Put your thinking caps on. Get ready for this. I'm about to ask you three questions. And how you answer those three questions will be indicative of whether you really will get to the blessing place. Not everybody goes to the blessing place, but I'm sure enough determined to drag as many of us there today as possible. Watch this. We just read, you just read, I just read in the texts, in Luke's account, that Jesus, after he rises from the dead, he hangs out, he's seen for 40 days. So watch this. He dies, he's buried, and he rises again during the feast of Passover. Somebody shout Passover. He hangs out for 40 days until he's taken up, the Bible says, in a cloud. This is significant. It's significant because I told you about two feasts, Passover and Pentecost. The distance between Passover and Pentecost is 50 days. Between Passover and Pentecost is 50 days. Jesus only hangs out for 40 days. That means there is a distance of 10 days where there is no Jesus and no Holy Ghost. Because Jesus went back to heaven on day 40 and the Holy Ghost is not given until day 50. Because the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit came suddenly. So there's 10 days where there's no Jesus and no Holy Spirit. These guys who had been walking with Jesus, studying Jesus, mentored by Jesus, experienced Jesus, they had a degree in Jesusology. Three and a half years of ministry with Jesus, now there's no Jesus and there's no Holy Spirit. Here comes the question. No Jesus, no Holy Spirit. What do you do when you can't feel God? How you answer that question is indicative of whether or not you will get to the blessing place. Because some people today are people of feeling, not people of faith. <clears throat> I'm looking for my radical praises. God is looking for people who don't just praise him based on how they feel. They praise him because they believe he deserves all the glory. Where's my David praises at? David said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. I don't care what I'm going through. The devil can't shut my mouth. The devil can't shut my praise. I will give God all the glory. If that's you, jump up and say, yeah. I double dare you to do a row check. Shake three people by the hand on your row and say, are you faith or feeling? Which one are you? Because I need to stand next to somebody who's a person who will praise God regardless of how they feel. In fact, in fact, I don't praise him based on how I feel. But the more I praise him, the better I feel. See, see, watch this. Watch this. Feelings praisers have to have the right praise and worship music. They have to have the right worship leader. They have to have the band. But faith praisers say, I'm alive and I'm glad about it. I will bless the Lord at all times. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. Somebody shout, yes. One more time, look at your name and say, faith or feeling, which one are you? 
because the Bible says the just shall live by faith I don't feel like I'm getting a breakthrough but I praise him I don't feel like everything's going well but I praise him I don't feel like going to church but I praise him somebody shout yeah God is sick and tired of idolatry because we don't always feel like going to work on Monday but you still bring your hips there but yet when it comes to giving God the glory you have to feel like praising him I just don't feel it today. The young people have got this saying, when the young people don't like something, they say, I'm not feeling that. Who cares what you feel? God deserves all the glory anyhow. I wonder if I can find a hundred people who will run from your seat right now, jump up right here, and just give God a radical praise. Right now, where you at? 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 My God. Sometimes you got to get radical. And when the devil tries to shut your mouth, just tell him he's a liar. And he can shut down my praise. One more time, scream, yeah! My God, my God. Watch this, watch this. Y'all sit down, y'all sit down. We're gonna shout in a minute, watch this. Watch this, let me finish this real quick, come on. Watch this now, catch this. Get ready. First question. Slap your neighbor high five on your way back to your seat and say, don't hate, celebrate. Oh, hate on me because I ran to the front? You don't know what God's done in my life. You don't know where I'm coming from. In fact, don't ask me where I'm coming from. Just watch the way I praise him and you'll know how far he brought. First question, first question, what do you do when you can't feel God? Here we go. If I can kill preaching, shout preach preacher. Second question, get ready. We just read, listen, listen, watch this. Get ready, watch this, listen. We just read that when Jesus rose from the dead, watch me, stay with me, listen to this. We're going to do some math. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen for 40 days. Bible says the Holy Spirit came in the upper room on day 50. Watch this now. The Bible says after his resurrection, he was seen by at least 500 brethren. Not, ra not random folk. Brethren. Because remember, Jesus had more than just the 12. 
Jesus had the crowd, which was the 500, who followed him everywhere. Out of the crowd, he took the 70, certain places he wouldn't take the 500. Out of the 70, he took the 12, certain places he wouldn't take the 70. And out of the 12, he took Peter, James, and John places he wouldn't take the 12. In other words, Jesus loved everybody, but not everybody had the same access. You ought to get to the stage where you love everybody, but everybody can't know your business. But watch this. His resurrection takes place and he's seen by at least 500 brethren at once. Here's my question. 500 brethren know Jesus is alive. Here's my question. Why is it only 120 show up to the upper room? 500 know he's alive. He's conquered death. But yet only 120 could stand the 10 days where there was no Jesus and no Holy Spirit. That means, I got to preach this just for 60 seconds. I feel, I feel some joy up in here. That means he had a deficit of at least 380 people who didn't make it to the upper room because they could not feel God. Preach, boy, preach, preach. <laughs> they could not feel God for 10 days. There's no Jesus and no Holy Spirit, so they're like, well, we might as well roll. Let's bounce. It's over. It was great while it lasted. The crowd left him. The 380 left him. Now, I've got to preach two things on that. First thing I've got to say to some of y'all is this. If they left Jesus, why do you get so sad when folk leave you? Your first name ain't Jesus and your last name, sure enough, ain't Christ. That's why the next time they walk out on you, you ought to throw yourself a party, put down the ice cream, stop getting depressed and carry on with your destiny. Pull on your neighbor and say, I'm going with you or without you. Matter of fact, matter of fact, the next time somebody walks out of your life, I need you to go down to the cake shop, go down to the card shop, buy yourself a card and make sure it's one of those cards that on the front it says sorry for your loss and send it to the person and give God glory and run on with your destiny. Somebody scream yeah! I wonder if you can reach across the aisle. Find somebody else and say, I'm going with you or without you. Tell somebody else, I say, I'd love for you to come, but I'm going to my destiny with you or without you. Whether you like the way I dress, whether you like my hair, whether you like the way I praise, I don't care what you like. I'm on my way to where God has called me to go. If you believe it, shout yes, Lord. Watch this, watch this. A deficit of 380 people. Let me tell you something here. Oh God, let me tell you something here. It's because the crowd never in scripture get the blessing. There's a difference between the crowd and the committed. 
from Old Testament to New Testament, the crowd never get the blessing in the same dimension that the committed do. Some of you are looking at me funny, like, what kind of theology is that? Let me tell you about a woman I met. Her name is the woman with the issue of blood. And this woman was hemorrhaging blood for 12 long years. She went down to a Bank of America. She got loans. She tried Wells Fargo for an overdraft facility. They gave it to her and she got herself into problems trying to get healed of the issue of blood. But she could not find healing no doctor no physician no soothsayer could help her with her issue but one day she heard Jesus was coming to town if you heard of Jesus shout Jesus she heard Jesus was coming to town by this time though Jesus is famous he's on the front cover of Jewish Time magazine TBN and CNN want interviews with him and he's real famous by now but he's coming to her town she heard that he opens blinded eyes she heard that he unstops deaf ears she heard that he can walk on water she said if he can do all of that then he sure enough can heal me Slap your neighbor high five and say he can deal with your stuff and my stuff. Jesus is coming to town. The problem is this. The problem is this. The Jewish law says that because of her issue, she was not supposed to touch anybody. But she was determined, I'm going to get my breakthrough whether I like it or not. I'm going to get my deliverance. The Bible says Jesus came to town. He's walking through the town and the crowd, the crowd, the crowd, the crowd, the crowd comes out and the crowd are grabbing hold of him the crowd are touching him the crowd are reaching out and grabbing hold of him and the woman is trying to get to Jesus and his armor bearers the disciples are around him trying to get him through the crowd but Jesus stops and he says who touched me I can imagine Peter, because Peter's got the big mouth. Peter probably said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He said, no, 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 no. I felt something leave me with that touch. Let me tell you what happened. Can I tell you what happened? The woman with the issue of blood, she decided I'm going to get my breakthrough. She decided I'm going to get my deliverance. So she had to get down low because sometimes to come up you've got to go down she got down low and what I love is this she did not break the law she did not break the law she did not touch Jesus she touched something that was touching Jesus the Bible says she touched the hem of his garment that's how powerful my God is I don't even need to touch him but if I'm sitting next to somebody whose praise is touching Jesus I can get my breakthrough why don't you pull on your neighbor and say breakthroughs coming 
let me tell you something what happened here is this notice with me notice with me the woman did not touch Jesus she touched something that was touching Jesus and she got everything she needed the crowd was touching Jesus and got nothing the woman was touching something that was touching Jesus and got everything the crowd was touching him and got nada she touched the garment and got everything the difference is this the crowd had contact but she had connection I wonder if there's a hundred people in here who will jump up on your feet right now and give God a praise until you get a connection get a connection for your children a connection for your house a connection for your family somebody scream yeah where's my radical praises at where the radical praises let me tell you something sometimes my cell phone I lose the connection and in order to get the connection back I have to change position to get the connection I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say excuse me but I'm about to shift position step out in the aisle right where you are say I've got to get a connection for my children I've got to get a connection for my finance I've got to get a connection for my marriage I've got to get a connection for my church. Now when I say go, I need you to jump. I need you to shout until you get your connection back. Get set, go! Shout for your children. Shout for your church. Shout for your family. Shout for your finance. Shout in the devil's face. Get your connection back. Get your connection back. God, pull on your neighbor one more time and say, neighbor, pull on your neighbor like you're crazy with him and say, neighbor, when I get my connection this next time, you're going to get your breakthrough right now. Tell your neighbor, if I praise him in God's house, God will show up at your house. Now, when I say shout, shout for your neighbor's connection. Get ready. Get set, shout! Yeah, 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 yeah. I dare you to change position. Where's my runners at? Where's all my runners? Run down here and get your connection back. Get your breakthrough back. Get your finance back. Let everything that has breath, praise, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't stop, don't stop. Get it, get it. Come on and shout, yes. My God. My God, I feel a breakthrough in the house. 
Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I dare you to lift your hands and catch the wind of the spirit. God is moving in this house. God is moving in this house. I dare you, I triple dare you to open your mouth and let him know that you receive the glory. Oh God, oh God, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Watch this. Watch this. Hear me. Whoa. Listen. It's interesting. First question is what do you do when you can't feel God? Second question is are you part of the crowd or the committed? The crowd go to church, the committed are the church. The crowd support the church so long as the church is doing what they want. The committed follow the vision because it's what God wants. Watch this, last question. And here we go, I've got to explain this. Listen, stay standing, listen. The Holy Spirit came, and I want you to see this. Suddenly, somebody shout suddenly. That means God wants to bless you suddenly. But watch this, watch this. He wants to bless you suddenly, but watch this. It's interesting here, because the very last thing that takes place before the suddenly comes is Peter says we need to replace Judas. He says Jesus originally had 12 of us as apostles. And there's only 11 apostles right now. We need to put back what we originally had with Jesus. The moment they put back what they originally had with Jesus, watch this now. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came suddenly. In other words, the word in the original Greek for suddenly is like a garden hose that's ready to, to eject the water pressure that's built up. But if you put your thumb over the top of that hose, it holds the pressure back. And until there's something shifted, once something shifts, the water comes out suddenly. The very last thing to take place before the suddenly happened was they replaced Judas. They put back what they originally had with Jesus. Here's the question. Here's the question. What do you need to put back that you used to have with Jesus? The moment you put it back, I hear the Lord saying, I miss the way you used to pray to me. I hear him saying, the way you used to support the church, you'd be at the church first of all. You are hungry. He says, put it back. He says, the moment you put it back, the way you used to praise me, whether you like the singing or not, he says, put it back he says the moment you put it back I'm going to release such a suddenly on your life that people will wonder why you have so much favor in your house somebody open your mouth and scream suddenly alright 
All right. I've got one more thing to say. I love you. I hope you have me back. I love you, but watch this. I'm going to say something because the title of the message is The Blessing Place. Stay with me. This will give you, I promise, this is a pain reliever I'm about to give you. If you give me three minutes, it's a pain reliever. Watch this. Watch this. God in the Bible hardly ever sends blessings to people. He sends blessings to a place. That's why today we're preaching the blessing place. What do you mean by that, Pastor? If I say to Minister Greg, if I say to Minister Greg, Minister Greg, man, you've been doing such a great job looking after me. I'm going to, there's a, there's a street in London called Savile Row. They do the best uh, garments and ties and suits. I'm going to send you a tie from Savile Row uh, as a gift. And he says, great, Pastor. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. A month goes by and I want you to see me as God in the situation and him as you. I've made him a promise. And God has made some of you promises. I go back to London. He calls me a month later and says, hey, pastor, did you send the promise? I say, it's already done. Anybody heard preachers say that before? It's already done. He's already sent it. And you go, okay, thanks a lot. And you get excited because you're expecting the promise, but two months go by and you still don't see it. And deep down you get frustrated and you want to say something to God, but you don't because you're afraid of lightning. You know, church folk. And you come to another service and another preacher preaches and says it's already done. Because God talks to you through preaching, you talk to him through prayer. Pastor Greg, Minister Greg calls me and he calls me and I say it's already done, it's already done, it's already done. There's nothing wrong with God's delivery service. God's delivery service is better than UPS, FedEx. You can't beat it. It's angels fam. Yeah, beating angels. But he calls me, a year goes by, a year. And he's like, man, them London preachers, they're liars, man. And I say to him, he calls me and I say to him, Pastor Greg, I've already sent it. Now watch this. I told you God doesn't send blessing to people. He sends it to a place. Hear what I'm about to say to you. If I write Minister Greg to Minister Gregory, what's your last name again? Mitchell on the package and send it to him. I'm sending it to a person. It will never get to him. Fast class here. I have to write an address. The word address is the word that means the name of a place. Watch this. Hold on. So, I write the name of a place. So the next time he calls me, watch this, and here's what God's saying to you. And he says, where's the promise? My question to him has changed now. And God says this to you. Are you at the place? Watch this. Stay with me. The place I'm talking about, this is for the church hoppers, is not a geographical location. You don't need to change houses. I'm talking about a state of maturation. How you answered those questions is indicative of how mature you're becoming. Because God sends big blessings to big people. In other words, the place I'm talking about, you can't go there, you grow there. Watch this, watch this. Well, Pastor White, that sounds good, but where is that in the Bible? I'll tell you. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit came, Pastor, you ever notice? It says the Holy Spirit filled the house. 
where they were sitting because they were at the place they got to embrace the promise that God sent to them well that's good that's real good I like it I like it a lot but what about the Old Testament I'll tell you how many of you all believe that God's name is Jehovah Jireh wave your hand that's wrong the Bible says that Abraham was told to sacrifice his son he takes Isaac to the mountain he lifts the blade up ties him down to sacrifice God says Abraham Abraham double enunciation of deity he says don't worry you don't need to do that I just wanted to see if you'd obey me I've already provided a blessing over there it's caught in the thickets it's a ramp God provided for Abraham the Bible is specific to say that Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh because God sends blessing to a place All right, we're done. I want you to, I've got two minutes. I've got two minutes. If you heard revelation in here today that spoke to your situation, God is saying it's time for you to get back to the place. He says he's about to release us suddenly on you. Run down here quickly, quickly, so I can pray over you real quick, real quick, as quick as you can. If you heard revelation, not, that's not everybody. That's only those who heard revelation. Run quickly, 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 quickly. Lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Let me get this prayer over you. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. As I begin to say some stuff, I want you to call on the name which is above every name. Call on the name Jesus. Just begin to say, Jesus, Jesus. Listen to me. The lifting of hands is the universal sign of surrender, but it's also what a child does to its parent when it wants to go to a higher place. The child doesn't need to say a word. The child just approaches its parent, lifts his hand, and the parent knows that that is a sign to say, take me higher. As you lift your hands high today, I pray over you. Father, Father, look at these hands. In the name of Jesus, everyone here has decided they are no longer a person of just feeling. They are a person of faith. If you believe it, say in Jesus' name. Every hand that's lifted here has decided they're no longer part of the crowd in the church. They're part of the committed. If you agree with that, say in Jesus' name. And everybody in here is lifting their hands as a sign to say, God, I'm going to put back what we used to have. In the name of Jesus. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as you see every hand lifted, I pray you will breathe in their lives, take them higher, move them to their destiny, and give them amazing victory, even before Pentecost, in the name of Jesus. Now, if you believe it, I need you to throw your arms around at least three people as you make your way back to your seat and say, I'm going to the blessing place. The rest of the house, open your mouth and make the biggest shout of praise you can find. blessing place the blessing place there's a shift coming hey hey listen listen I want everybody in here everybody at least 120 people 
there was 120 committed people in the upper room. Listen to me. 120 people committed in the upper room and they waited for 50 days. I want 120 people to seal this word, get $50 and run down here in front of me real quick. $50, everybody, they waited for 50 days and 120 of them in that upper room, they weren't the crowd, they were the committed. Run down here right now, I wanna see you. Come on, come on, come on, wherever you're coming from. If you're making checks, make them payable to the church. I need 120 of you just to run there. Let's seal this word for your family, for your house, for your business. Where's the business owners at? All the business owners. I want you to get in on this right now. Get in on this right now. As we get ready to go to the blessing place. Before I hand back to your pastor, I need you to open your mouth and lift up one more shout of praise in here. When I say go, let the devil know you heard a word that's changed your life for life. On your marks, get set, go. One more time, let's give God a hand praise for that word from Pastor Michael. Hallelujah.